Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, we're joined by my good friend, Matt D. Scott. Matt is the president of Omega Audio Video in London, Ontario, Canada, and host of the Resi Week podcast on the AV Nation Network. In the news this past week, AV Nation was acquired by Conference Technologies Incorporated, a communications technology solutions provider for AVIT integration, broadcast, and events. Matt, along with one of his four business partners, Tim Albright, had been co-owners of AV Nation and re- remained two of my podcast role models and mentors. Needless to say, it's an honor to have Matt on the podcast to learn more about this exciting acquisition and much more. Matt D. Scott, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you appreciated my nod to the introductions you make on Resi Week, where you uh, often identify your guests as my good friend or my my best friends. They're all my good friends. Exactly. They're not all my best friends, but they're all my good friends. And then there's one or two who are just, this guy's here this week. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know him well. He's just somebody I met. one of those people, but hopefully we'll be friends soon. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, Well, there's... But I, I was going to say, there's a lot that about your integration business I want to talk about, okay. your favorite tech, um, your excellent taste in your favorite baseball team, Major League Baseball yes, team. most definitely. Yes. Go and uh, Yes, go, go <laughs> Yankees. And, uh, and even talking about podcasting as a side gig. Sure. Um, but I first wanted to ask you a question I've never thought to ask, and it's Matt D. Scott. Why the <laughs> formality with the middle initial? The formality with the middle initial is, believe it or not, there's kind of like John Smith, mm-hmm. Matt Scott is a fairly common name. Um, not like it's not insanely common, but it's common enough. And I, I, I will add the, the asterisks that my dad was a lawyer and my dad signed everything, Brian D, period, Scott. And, you know, my dad's one of my role models, somebody I look up to a ton. And so I stole it from him. Okay. And I, I, I actively remember being in grade one and I'm, I don't remember what thing I was filling out, but you know, write your name, Matt D Scott, you know, you don't need a middle initial. Yes, I do. To the point of calls were made home because I was fighting, having to have this initial. And uh, my dad being the good lawyer was like, he can sign it however he wants. He's a kid. Right. No one cares. <laughs> um, and then fast forward to high school. And I got in massive deba- debates with my grade 11 English teacher. Her opinion was that you do not have to have a period after the D. And I'm like, well, uh, it's not, my name is not D. My name is, starts with D. Right. Um, so it has to have a period to the point of, again, losing marks for having the period on my thing, which I took every time. Uh, <laughs> but the formality side of it all really came down for the fact that in high school, um, there was another gentleman by the name of Matt Scott who was always getting in trouble. He was one of those kids who, yeah, he was all, he was a year behind me, but he was always seemed to be getting in trouble. But because I was the year ahead, when the office would go down the list to find out where Matt Scott was, they'd hit my name first because I was the year ahead. So I would get called down to the office Mm. like once a month for (laughs) who knows what. And I'd hear it and be like, yep, I know what's up. Go down to the office walk in the front door, they'd be like, we don't want you. I'm like, yep, I didn't think so. Go back to class, Matt. Okay. And then I'd go across the street to the mall for an early lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. Good, so good I job. added the, the, or I kept the D and I've always kept the D uh, partially as a nod to my dad, partially because I can. Uh, and it, I don't know, maybe it helps me stand up from the cl- crowd. Maybe I'm a little bit more naive than I think I am. I don't know. I like it though. Yeah, absolutely. It's become definitely your, literally your signature, but uh, it's funny, you know, we have our, our good friend, Todd Anthony Puma. Yes. Same thing. And, and well, yeah, it's Todd. I don't know if you've heard his story, but there's apparently a Todd Puma in New Jersey who abused dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. So he, he had to throw the Anthony in there because he did not want to be associated with this, this jerk of a person, well, you know? And that's, that's always the funny thing with like common names is like my wife's name is Fiona. So on the opposite side, anytime you see like a Fiona on a TV show, it's like, holy crap, hey, Fee, mm-hmm. Fee, come here. There's there's a Fiona on the show. Right. Because it just, it's not a, 
at least around here, it's not a common name at all. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it, it's the joys of trying to stand out with a semi-common name, I guess. Well, I, I guess we could talk about names for a while, but we're we're gonna <laughs> I'm gonna shift into podcasting. Sure. And that's about as meta as you get. We're gonna be on a podcast talking about making podcasting. a podcast. I like it. Yeah. So uh when uh until I began hosting residential tech to tech talks, um about a year ago, mm-hmm. the only podcast um, that I regularly appeared on was your Resi Week yeah. podcast. And it took a while to convince me to even be a guest because I am an <laughs> I introvert. Those. Yeah. I, I mean, George Tucker, one of your partners mm-hmm. in the business, I think reached out to me years before I actually said yes. And I yeah. adamantly said, no, doesn't sound fun to me at all. <laughs> I do not want to be asked questions on a public forum like that. It, uh, but it's something that you'd be surprised how many people don't want to do it. Yeah, they don't. And I would argue that podcasting is arguably kind of the easiest media piece, unless you're just being interviewed for, for a written article. Right. Um, but it's a really easy medium, which I've always found surprising how many people just don't want to do it. But yeah. uh, we're, well, we're it's, it's hard to glad it, we turned you around when, when you're a, a guest. guest. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't trying to get a compliment, but yes, I, you were. I, that was fishing. I saw it. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think my, my issue is as a guest is uh, thinking on my feet and mm-hmm. being able to answer eloquently. Um, I I'm, I'm good at, typing my answers and writing, you know, yeah. things, but, uh, to, to be able to speak them, sometimes you're, you're hearing the question and you're going, I hope this turns somewhere. Cause I'm going nowhere with this one. <laughs> and then you grab onto what, what personal story do I have about this? It's a, and it needs to be an anecdote. Um, so a lot of times I will not to be in, inside baseball, but I, I'll try to ask a little bit ahead of time, what, um, some of the thoughts you might have on those questions. But so I, I've, as a, as a host, it's speak it's been one of those things where I don't ever want to make people uncomfortable on it. It's been, yeah. it's been a good thing, but I was just curious how you um, went from being a Navy integrator uh, who sometimes wrote articles for magazines. Cause uh, yep. we've done that too together mm-hmm. to uh, really a professional podcaster, whether you get paid or not, you're doing a, a job as a podcaster every week. How, how'd you get into that part of yeah, no, your I life? That. You know, it, it's, it's funny. Cause I kind of, I kind of just fell into it really. And it, it started back uh, long ago with um, really the AV chats on the, on the commercial side. There was a, there was a Twitter chat started by a friend of ours named Linda um, who had hosted a Friday afternoon Twitter chat and trying to make a a incredibly long and windy story short and concise. um, It was through that, that I really met people in the community because I knew a couple of integrators um, and I knew a couple people from, from shows, but even that it was, it was very limited. I, I was kind of in an Island, if you will, um, where I was doing what I was doing mostly in house of worship at that time, but I didn't know anybody else in the business. And it wasn't until I got into the Twitter chat where I started to develop some friendships and, and realize that a, there was this huge market that I hadn't seen. And this was even before I discovered that residential AV was a thing mm. uh, beyond just, you know, Hey, I got a home theater in my basement type thing. Um, it was through that, that Twitter chat where I met Tim and I met George okay. and Bradford Ben, who uh, were our, 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 all of our co-founders for mm-hmm. AV nation. And Tim had this bright idea being a ex radio guy um, that, you know, sifting through a transcript of, of Twitter after the fact is really boring. Mm-hmm. it's not dynamic it's it's nobody wants to do that but not everyone can be on that chat at the same time so he had the bright idea hey why don't we why don't we take some of these questions and record it and i just kind of happened to be around that group at that time okay uh, when when he had that idea and it started with i, I was doing all the graphics for I, i'd done graphics for linda i did graphics for tim for the first you know two or three episodes um i think i was guest on episode two or episode three and again, very long story short, started working with that. We, we formed an actual company uh, and, and the majority of it had been podcasting and we had been, you know, kind of doing video chats, if you will, and converting those into podcasts. Mm-hmm. But it really started to develop when we started going to trade shows 
and reporting on the shows and, and not only doing live, you know, AV weeks and then following resi weeks at the, at the big trade shows, but doing booth interviews and, and doing all these different things from a, um, and again, no disrespect to the established media side of things, but none of us are, uh, we're not media people. Mm -hmm. We're not writers. We didn't go to school for journalism. Um, that is not our, uh, not our bag at all. We're, we've all, uh, and, and everybody kind of involved in aviation, we've all been integrators or programmers or salesmen or, or something in the, you know, active in the industry. So when we first started our approach and the, the way we would ask questions and, and talk to, especially exhibitors at the shows was kind of dramatically different than what they normally would get asked. Right. Because I, I, I remember, can't remember who the company was, but I remember one of our first, you know, years doing this, I, I was doing an interview with somebody and I started asking questions of one of the VPs and the first was like, Oh, tell me about your product. And then it became the, and how does it do this? And how does it communicate with that? And what's the integration with this? Mm -hmm. And he turned to me, he's like, who the heck are you? <laughs> yeah. Like, these are not the questions I ask. And I'm sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm an integrator and this is, you know, we do this. Right. Um, so it really developed a different taste. So when we, when we tried to grow AV week, which is kind of our flagship show in the beginning, we covered essentially every vertical that falls under AV. Hmm. So we might have a story about, you know, Google doing something uh, with a smart speaker up against a video wall story for, for commercial and then a new broadcast camera for broadcast. Mm -hmm. um, and as the audience grew and as the, the podcast grew and kind of popularity and stuff like that, we discovered we really had the ability to break it up into multiple shows right. and multiple uh, podcasts essentially. And that's where me being the, the one who plays in both commercial and residential um, not that I got tasked with the residential show, but I was the guy that was most knowledgeable in it. Um, so I kind of took over that and, you know, kind of, kind of like your story, when I started, um, doing the podcast, it was, it took some time to get used to, hmm. like, it's one thing to guest, uh, it's one thing to go and interview somebody at a trade show. Uh, it's another thing to, you know, routinely look at multiple stories, try and follow what's going on in the industry, create a run sheet, find guests, bring guests on, ask hopefully good questions, yeah. questions that not only are, you know, insightful for the guests, but also hopefully the, the audience really can glean something from that um, and not ask the same question every time. Right. Because you really could, you could, you know, almost every article you get or every story or, or trend. So how does this affect the integration business? Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's a challenge and, um, you know, hopefully people enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things that I have learned most from is how you're able to ask these questions to multiple people on your uh, podcast, on your panel, um, and, and different questions for each story to different people. And, you know, sometimes you go, Hey, what, what's your take on this story? And, now, what's your take on this story? But it's not, it's never really that simple. And no, that, and, and when I'm as a guest, I'm always impressed with, with that ability, especially since you haven't been doing that as a career. Like I have my, my issue, uh, having been not an integrator talking to, um, manufacturers on a show floor is sometimes it's a technology that's just so new. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not, but a lot of times you just want to kind of encourage the person to to share enough yeah. with you to keep going and get the story and get the quote you need. And and I've, I was just telling my daughter last night about how being responsive to someone you're talking to and like she's talking about her teachers yeah. and how she gets rewarded for nodding and paying attention in <laughs> class. You know, they're wearing masks and yep. it's hard, you know, we've got to make this eye contact. And I said, yeah, I've, I've been guilty of being at a trade show and listening and someone saying, so we, so that's when we developed this and I'd go, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm going along with them. And then, yep. then we did this and I'm thinking at some point I can't just go, mm -hmm. I have to go, <laughs> Oh wow. Or something to that effect. And sometimes I miss time the, Oh wow. And they go, and that's, but that was the wrong approach. I'm like, right. Exactly. Of that course, was the wrong of course. course. Yes. Well, and it, it's funny because we've all done it. 
And I don't care who you are, how smart you think you are. You've been at somebody's booth or, or you've been in an interview or something and somebody's talking something and whether you don't understand it, whether you've checked out, whether you don't care, like we've all been it. We've all yeah. been there. We've all sat through that presentation where it's like, oh yeah, awesome. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> man. I can't wait. Is this over yet? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Yeah. This is, yeah. This is great. No, no. And when is this shipping? <laughs> never buying this. I don't mm -hmm. care. It's stupid. Right. But yeah, it, it's, it is a challenge. <laughs> it is a challenge and don't go looking through my past interviews, please. Oh, I, 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 I'd be horrified um, even, even if it's just a year end to, to look back on my early ones, but I did, I, I did want to, I, I want to just kind of move a little bit ahead yeah. on, on uh, talking AV nation and Rosie week and uh, the, the big acquisition that took place mm -hmm. very recently. Um, Obviously, it's been a challenging time for the media with with COVID and lack of yep. events being able to go. And a lot of what where revenue comes from for manufacturers for sponsorships are around events. And clearly, yep. that was a big thing for AV Nation. Um, you you were able to find a, a buyer for the for the company. What was the the process like for that? And uh, what does that kind of help the the, the group achieve now? Yeah, it, it was great question. It, it was not necessarily something where we ever went searching for a buyer. We, we've always had um, a variety of, of offers and, and conversations that have started over partnerships or uh, purchases or acquisitions or, you know, something in, in the, the just of, hey, we like what you're doing. We'd love to work with you. Let's try and find a way to do that. <laughs> and over the years, we've had a couple of different partnerships that we've done and, and different you know, things that, that have happened. Um, we still do a lot of work with a lot of other, uh, you know, media companies and, and partner with them on different projects. But with the, with the CTI acquisition, it, it was really something that kind of came out of the blue. Um, Tim has had a, a really good relationship with their CEO for quite a few years. And, you know, as you alluded, not having the shows has been, has been tough for everybody. It, it's been tough for the regular integrator who uses that as a, uh, as an opportunity and, and a period in which they, they vet new products and they, you know, deepen relationships with their vendors or, or with other integrators, um, for the manufacturers, obviously not being able to get in front of their dealers, uh, and not get uh, product in front of their dealers has been, has been a huge challenge. And then, you know, from the media side, you're right. A, a lot of, a lot of sponsorships and a lot of, that income for, for all media orgs that cover the industries. Um, it, a lot of it does come from the trade shows from those, those big events and the small events, right? Um, mm -hmm. it, it really doesn't matter what it is, but just from a content standpoint, the hours of content that you can produce and the, for sure. the, the pages you can produce from a show vast exceeds any other single event, uh, that happens and, and occurs. Um, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't that we were looking for someone. It was just a, a happy coincidence that, um, CTI had come, kind of come along and, and we're looking to, uh, you know, really just help continue to propel the industry. And we, we kind of attribute it to, uh, being very similar to when, uh, Jeff Benzo went out and purchased the Washington post. It, 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 it was strictly a, a way for him to invest in another technology essentially um, and, and see that happen. So in our case, we don't foresee really anything changing. Everything's mm. going to stay the same. Uh, Tim, who was uh, the CEO of, of AV Nation is now uh, working directly with CTI. Okay. Excuse me, but he's still hosting Resi Week or sorry, <laughs> AV Week. He's still heavily involved in the business. Uh, the other three of us, uh, we, we still have various positions within the company. Um, and kind of most importantly to us, um, is that we're, we're forming a editorial board. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that, that had always been a kind of a founding principle, if you will, of AV Nation was that we are, we're AV pros doing this from an AV pro perspective. Mm -hmm. We are trying to bring our insight and, and, you know, everyone else that we have on all of these, these different platforms we have, we're trying to bring in unbiased, you know, uninfluenced opinions. We are going to be 
as true as we possibly can to, you know, and it sounds super cliche, but just, just being honest and upfront. If, if something deserves to be lauded, we're going to laud it. If it deserves to be questioned we're we want to question it, that's kind of what we do. Uh, and it's kind of what grew us to, to who, you know, what, what aviation has become. Um, so we're, we're forming that editorial board that that's in process right now. Uh, and we're planning to, uh, you know, kind of continue that same vein that we've always had uh, where we have, you know, editorial control and, and we're not, um, it, it, it's a sale, but it's more of a, it's more of an investment opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, like a, an acquisition in that traditional sense. Um, our, our goal is to continue to, you know, bring the content and, and the news and the reporting and all that jazz that we do um, to, to the audience without hopefully any, um, any major change that anybody sees, but this will allow us to, you know, increase the company, increase what we're doing and uh, hopefully continue to just do more and more. So we're, we're super excited about it. Um, it. It does bring a little bit of change, but it also, you know, should bring some really good change, right. which is the key. So I'm just really inside the company, mm-hmm. you had Tim, who this is his job running yep. this organization. So obviously he had to make a salary. You have a couple of um, production people that are mm-hmm. on staff, salespeople, that type of thing. So yep. it allows you to actually, Tim has a, has a, has a salary that's not going to stress him out probably anymore as a yeah, employee and, of a company now. You know, anybody who's run a business and like I've run my own business, Omega, like we're coming up on 20 years this year, September Mm. this year will be 20 years for us. And you know, it, (laughs) again, I'm not telling anything that nobody doesn't know, but it's, it's stressful running a small business Mm -hmm. It's incredibly stressful. And there are times when, you know, you do everything you can just to make sure your employees get paid. And I'm not saying that that was the position that, you know, we were in or anything like that, but to, to think that, you know, running a small business is easy. You've just obviously never done it Mm -hmm. because it is, it, it, you know, there are really good times. There's really tough times. There's, there's a lot of pluses that come with owning a company. There's a lot of, you know, stress (laughs) comes with owning (laughs) a company. Um, This is, this is the first one that I've sold, which is kind of cool. Um, but you know, it's not the first company I've run. It's definitely not the first one I, that I've helped co-found. It's, it's going to, I'm really looking forward to what we're able to do with uh, uh, some elimination of some of that stress. Yeah. Right. Sure. Cause it, it just, it's the nature of the beast. Um, it should be really, really phenomenal to see, you know, what we can do going forward. So, so balancing being a business owner for integration on the integration mm-hmm. side and, and being a podcast host and um, partner throughout the, the years that yeah. you weren't owned by CTI, um, what, what was that balancing act like and, and how do you rationalize your involvement on the uh, podcast side with your family and keeping no so idea. busy? <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just have to chisel out time to do all yeah, the different things. You know, it is a challenge. It, it's something that, you know, like anything, there's always things you do in your life that are, that are different or outside of the norm for, for most people. And, you know, for me, I've run a, uh, I've run my company for, as I said, almost 20 years now. Um, I've got another, you know, additional company that, that we run uh, that, that does stuff. I'm, I'm heavily involved with my family, uh, with my extended family, with my church. Um I do a lot of work in those veins. I've, I've been involved with Cedia uh, on the, on the board of directors in the past. Um, we do, you know, I, so I still volunteer with them. I still volunteer with Avixa. Um, there, there's a lot of things that go on and the aviation side kind of, you know, it started out as this cool little, like, Hey, I finally found some friends. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hang out. And if this is the way we hang out, cool. Yeah. Um, to, you know, we're, we're now to the point where, you know, Tim and, and Brad and George are, are some of my closest friends. And it's something where I'm somebody who, who gets invested in something. And when I get invested in something and I see potential or enjoyment there, um, I'll find a way to do it and I'll find a way to find time. So, you know, 
everybody here and everybody at Omega knows that, you know, on Mondays from, from two to five, essentially, I am not around. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what's going on unless something is literally burning down. (laughs) I'm not around because we, we do resi week. Um, Typically I would always go to the majority of the trade shows. So now I just go a little bit longer um, to, to facilitate that. But, you know, there's been some, some phenomenal benefits for, for me and for the company by doing this. I, I've met an, an obscene number of people, mm-hmm. really, really cool people. Um, and it, it, it's offered me a, an inside view, if you will. Yeah. To, to, to not just the industry, because that's helpful, but it's not helpful in a day-to-day bit point. But, you know, we'll have people on, on Resi Week or I'll talk to them at, at a show. And uh, again, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I don't, can't exactly just walk around a trade show floor anymore unknown. Mm-hmm. Not everyone knows me. The, probably the majority of people don't know me, <laughs> but there's, there are people who do know me. Right. And, and, and obviously I know them. Um, but you bump into people that I never would have met had it not been for doing the media side of things. For sure. From both, again, from the manufacturing side, from the, the association side, from, from other integrators. Mm-hmm. And I have learned more talking to manufacturers and, and other integ- integrators on this platform and, and through this kind of medium than I ever would have in any other way. And like we copy our racks off Mosey Levy out of New York. We, we do stuff that I've learned from Bronner. We do stuff that I've learned from Joe Whitaker. We do stuff that I've learned. Like we do a ton of stuff that I've politely stolen from my sister, Heather in Buffalo. Like that there's not a, there's not necessarily like a a dollar value that you can put to any of that. Right. It's, it's something where, especially where, where we're located, right? Like we're in between Toronto and Detroit. This mm-hmm. is not, it's not easy to get to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not hard to get to, but nobody comes here. Yeah. Right? This is not, it's not New York where you can go and go to every event for integration people on, on both sides of the commercial or the residential side. It just doesn't happen. Um, this has given me that, that opportunity to find it. So the balance sometimes is tough. Um, but I feel like it's tough in, in anything you try to do. Right. But I've also, I've, dude, I've never held a nine to five job ever in my life. So maybe I just don't know what balance is. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm going to, I'm going to find out how you went from studying theology in college to becoming a tech pro, but first we need to take a short break. This is our moment to see more possibilities than ever before. To expand our thinking, our capabilities, and our vision. To leverage the unique strengths of two innovative companies. To create new opportunities for you, our valued customers and partners. To build confidence and loyalty with consumers and become the number one intelligent lighting and smart home company in the world. This is our moment to make an impact. As significant as this, this is our moment to shine. Welcome back. I'm talking to Matt D. Scott, president of Omega Audio Video in London, Ontario, Canada, and host of Resi Week, uh, the podcast on the AV Nation Network. Um, So Matt, how does one go from studying theology in college to becoming a tech pro? Well, it's funny you ask that. Um, technically, I, I started the company before I went to college. <laughs> so that helps. Okay. Um, but it's, you know, I really started, I started my company at, at 16, which I don't necessarily recommend, but okay. know, for me, it worked. Um, I was, I, I, I grew up in, in my local church and from a, a super young age, I was involved in, or I, I hung around, I guess, the, the, the tech team and was fascinated by, you know, the speakers and the, the mics and the cables and the, the console and all that fun stuff. Sure. Um, 
so I started kind of helping out with that at a, at a really young age and started, you know, helping, you know, lay mic cables at six and seven. Um, if you, if you actually read one of my bios somewhere, um, it attributes it to the, I, I had a speaker, a 15 inch horn that was on a tripod that fell down. And I think it was six at the time. And it, it literally, like, you can still see it. There's a, but a one inch scar in the top of my head, Wow. But the corner of the speaker came down and hit me in the head. And that's why I'm the way I am. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> explains a lot, explains a lot. Yeah. Hitting the head <laughs> with a speaker, but, uh, you know, so, so long and short, I was, I was involved in, in our church and I was doing, uh, audio and running audio, you know, from like 10 on. And at one point, I, I believe I was 14, I think, um, I was involved and we had got, we had some, some equipment die and, um, we'd got a quote in and somehow I saw it. And I, I still don't remember why I saw it. Cause I probably shouldn't have, but I think it was in the booth and I just happened to see it. And I was blown away by how much money, um, this integrator was, was quoting for, for what we needed. Mm. And I remember going to the pastor and being like, you know, that seems like a lot. <laughs> I'm sure we don't need to spend that much money. And he was like, well, if you can, you know, do, you know, figure something out, let me know or if you have a suggestion. So I took that and, and went back and found some catalogs from some, you know, uh, essentially direct mail AV companies, mm-hmm. um, did some research, started to learn a little bit beyond what I did and came back with a proposal of, Hey, if we buy this stuff, it'll do the same thing at essentially the same quality without essentially half of that budget. Hmm. And so we did that and I helped, you know, bring it all in commission, everything and do all that. And I kind of had that, you know, light bulb moment of like, I bet there's other people that need help with this Mm -hmm. and started talking to some of the other people I knew in different churches and different things and people I'd met at different conferences. And sure enough, yeah, there was a, there was a fairly large underserved market for that, that small to mid-sized church that you know either had to go to a music store or if they went to an integrator that that gap was just massive yeah the the music store would would sell them like a a cheesy pa that you would use as as like a friday night band Mm -hmm. and the integration company would try to sell you the moon and all Mm -hmm. the fanciest stuff that you know whoever you know petra was using on a tour um (laughs) And I had to use the Christian rock. Yeah, fair enough. That one. Yeah, it made sense. Um, because the Doobie Brothers was not a good <laughs> yeah. fit. Um so I started doing that and and I was doing it without without a company, without anything, and and just kind of helping people out. And I was going into my final year of high school and really didn't know what I wanted to do. And the the only things I I enjoyed was I enjoyed law and I enjoyed history. And which I realize I've nowhere near anything with this. Um, but I didn't really want to go to university for, for law. And my understanding was if I got a history degree, I can what teach, which is yeah. not something I wanted to do either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, you know, I'll, 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 let me give this a year and see what happens. So uh, September 1st of 2001, I went in and registered the company on essentially the first summer off after graduating high school and started doing it. And fast forward, you know, three or four years and we were doing uh, stage and, and video production and, you know, literally TV broadcast suites mm. for, for churches all across North America. Um, especially during that, that SD to HD transition mm. kind of, we, we kind of found a sweet spot and kind of started moving in there and, we work with churches in California and Michigan and Texas and Florida, Oregon and BC and Alberta and like Quebec and Ontario and um, helped a lot of churches, not only just, you know, upgrade their systems, but really our our specialty was designing stages and uh, doing, doing that, that standard definition to HD broadcast transition for all the churches that were doing, you know, local access and, a couple that do national broadcasts. Okay. And so we did that up until, uh, and that's kind of the era that I got the, the theology degree. Okay. Um, and we, uh, we did that up until the crash 
in, you know, 708. Mm. And we, I, I, I've told the story a couple of times. We had a church out in, in California that we were working with and we had just gone to NAB, which is the national association of broadcasters show in Vegas. Um, second only to CES as far as, as far as size. And we had worked out the, we'd finalized the spec and, and the, the, you know, the, the system requirements and everything that we're going into this uh, kind of small mega church, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like a seven figure project and it got shelved before we got a single piece of product purchased because of the crash. Yeah. And that was kind of the, the quick, very quick downfall of our, our house of worship business mm. as you know, pretty much North America shrunk mm -hmm. in, in uh, you know, GDP and everything else that comes with that kind of almost depression. Um, but house of worship just evaporated. Mm. That market was gone. Nobody was spending money. Um, so I came, not that I came back home, but essentially I was now back home with no clients and no projects and a wife that was, you know, asking what the heck are you going to do? Right. And I remember a friend of mine in Cincinnati of all places had, uh, tried a couple years ago to get me into residential because he was doing some, some small business, uh, and, and some residential. And he's like, you know, this is really cool. They're doing like cameras and doorbells and they're doing, <laughs> you know, surround and audio in every room of the house. And I was like, that's stupid. We do broadcast, right? Why would I ever play in that space? That sounds ridiculous. Cause my only thought was, you know, future shop, which was later purchased by Best Buy up here. Um, mm. That was my entire understanding of the, the residential AV space. Okay. Was that it was a, you know, it was Best Buy. It was Radio Shack. Sure. So why would I ever leave the fun of broadcast suites and camera systems and stage lighting for, for residential? And it, it kind of forced my hand hmm. because we, we lost house of worship. So I, yeah. I came home and I started talking to a couple of contractors I knew and like, yeah, we kind of do this, but we don't ever want to touch it. And the guys we use, we don't like, are you going to do it? Uh, maybe. So the first, the first little bit I was buying from, um, like I was buying in the States and shipping stuff across. Cause I didn't have any contacts here. <laughs> mm. Um, we were buying stuff at Costco and radio shack and Best Buy and, and doing little systems and, and slowly learning. That's when I, I discovered that the CDA channel actually existed and started going to those shows and mm -hmm. started finding, you know, distributors and suppliers and, and stuff up here that, made it fit. And it was, it was a couple years after that, that I'd come across the, the AV chat and, and mm. met everybody in that vein. And that's when I learned that there was a whole commercial market that was like offices and, and small businesses that again, just had no idea that they existed. Wow. And I don't know how I didn't know, but it just, I was never in that. I was never in that space. Right. So I, I've had, I would argue, one of the weirdest links mm -hmm. of going from, you know, again, really small churches to big churches and broadcast and, and like cr some crazy stuff in that world. And then back into the smallest of the smallest residential into some, some big residential. That's how we came across um, lighting control. And that mm -hmm. blew my mind. Yeah, because that was one of the first things I was told by our, our friend Kirsten Nelson when yeah. you started writing some articles that you, your big thing was uh, Lutron. And so, yeah. you know, hey, if you need some coverage of lighting control announcements at Cedia, Matt's the guy to do it. Yeah, and Lutron, or like, I love Lutron, but but I love lighting. Mm. Um, and I would argue that you were talking at the beginning about, you know, favorite technologies. Right. I love lighting. I, I have a, 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 a very, like, it's probably unhealthy, my, my love of lighting. <laughs> so what is it about it that's so appealing? I, I would challenge anyone to find something that can create space and drama better. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that allows you to set a mood mm -hmm. better. Agreed. Music is great, and I, and I love music. Um, 
lighting lets you do anything you want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having done so much in stage, it, it, it changes your, your thought process when you get into, especially residential, um, because there's such a huge opportunity there. And if you find, when you find a client that can appreciate that and can appreciate what you can do and how you can paint a space with light, it's, it's unsurmatched. Like everything else attributes to it. But when you, like, when you simplify everything down without light, there is literally nothing. Mm -hmm. And all that cool audio is ridiculous if there's no light. Mm -hmm. It's mostly just scary because you don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> light is kind of the, the base of it. And, you know, the way in which you can play with colors and, and shadows and the interaction between brightness and darkness it just, it, there's something about that that I, I absolutely love. So you've and, got to start with, you've got, you know, for years now, dimming zones and, mm -hmm. and scenes and all that, but now you're getting into the ability to, to install low voltage uh, fixtures and yep. um, being able to really design around a home, do lighting design for the first yep. time where it used to be a specialty. Yep. Are you getting into that yet? We, yeah, we've been doing that for a couple of years. Um, I am not yet accredited in it, which is something that's on my, on my list actually for this year is to get that a, an official accreditation on it. Um, but we've been doing it. Like I've personally been doing lighting design in some form or fashion for over 15 years. And it's something where one of my, without getting on too much of a soapbox, um, one of my biggest frustrations is everyone usually in this channel looks at lighting control as a, as a technical piece and lighting design as a technical piece. And it, it is, but it is, it's an art piece. It's a design piece. Mm -hmm. Dimming something is great, but only if you know what the, the, the design effect is. Right. If you're dimming just for the sake of dimming for saving energy or something like that, it's great. But if you know that as you dim something down, you're creating this different effect on a wall or on the ground or on the floor or how, you know, something on a, on a table looks, that's when it really gives you that, that power. And, you know, what's a bit available now? I was, I was actually on a call yesterday uh, with a lighting manufacturer who's doing some ridiculously cool things, um, which reach out to me if you want to know and I'll tell you, otherwise <laughs> I'm keeping it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, what you can do with, with LEDs these days and, and with the different color temperatures and the curves really let you play with light and let you mm. paint with light really, really well. But so much of it comes down to fixture design. And it is what I see when I see integrators adding, you know, lighting control to their truck or to their website. Um, I get really concerned because it is one of those things that yes, it's technical. Yes. It's automation. Yes. It's, you know, control, which is stuff that we do all the time, but there is, there is more design that's required in, in true lighting design and true lighting control that most is, is beyond a lot of integrators piece. They, they view it as just an add on mm -hmm. opposed to a completely different vertical. And, you know, it, it, it's something that it's not dissimilar from when you see a, a commercial integrator who decides they're going to start playing in residential. Typically, there's some major growing pains there. And when you start seeing that again from, from the traditional AV person into a, a lighting controller or lighting design person, there can be some growing pains. The issue is, and this is where I take kind of a, right. I get annoyed with it, to be honest. Um, if somebody goes and puts in a poor AV system, the client's just going to blame the tech, not, not the technician necessarily, but just the technology, right? You know, well, you know, these TVs, they suck. They're, they're just always bad. Who cares? When you screw up a lighting system, 
and people can't turn the lights on properly. Can't see what they're doing. It's a life safety thing, mm-hmm. but they will, that, that client will instantly not ever want to do anything in that vein at all, ever again. They'll, they will, and gosh, all you got to do is go through one of the Facebook groups. You can see how many times there's a takeover job where somebody screwed something up so bad that the client kicked them out of their property, but then just brought somebody else in because mm-hmm. they don't care. But when you screw up a lighting system or lights in somebody's home, they will never do anything in that vein again. I've seen just, it countless times. Just put those switches back up there. That's all yep. I want. Yeah. Just put the switches up. I just want some pot lights. Nothing so, else. So are you doing a lot of shades um, control as well? Motorized shades? We, we do some shades. We don't do a ton. Um, it's it's a market that I really want to personally get into more and do more of. Uh, it just seems to be a bit of a challenge up here right now um, for, for us. And I, again, I don't know if that's, me being a terrible salesman, which I am, um, or <laughs> if it's just, you know, our, our clientele aren't really playing in that vein right, right now. Um, it's, it's we, very market specific. It seems that it if you're, if you're in a really hot climate, like a Miami kind of South beach kind of thing, you have to have shades mm-hmm. and you're in these high rises. And at, even you think about Richard Milson up in Vancouver, it's a huge thing yeah. for him because he's dealing with a lot of high rises. I think Lots when you just have a lot of glass, Um, traditional, you know, multi, well, traditional homes, I think it's, it's a harder sell. It's a, it's a costly item. Yeah. I love shades, but I do too. And and shades are, you know, they're one of those things that just kind of like light when you start playing with shades, I don't know if there's anything cooler Mm -hmm. than just pushing the button and have, yeah, like it just, it's such a sleek thing. Right. Um, and shades in general are they're the conundrum to me because, and again, I love them, but you either find the random client who's totally on board with it and they don't care about the price per se, right? They mm-hmm. just want it to be in their mind affordable and do what they want and they're happy to spend it. Um, then you get a ton of clients who really, really want it until they see a price. But the weird thing is, is you'll quote something and, you know, just for a round figure, say it's a thousand dollars for that shade. That client will balk on that. Oh, that's ridiculous. We're not spending that. We can put the shade up ourselves. <laughs> and then they'll go to Home Depot or Lowe's or, or the, the you know budget shades or whoever it is. Um, and they'll spend $850 on a manual shade. And you do the like, really? Yeah, it's odd. Well, it was cheaper. Like, but you got to open the shade every <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, are, are you into um, any of the Ketra type human centric lighting yet? I am not into, I'm not into the Ketra yet. Uh, I've seen it. I love it. We have, if you haven't seen it, we have a not shameless plug. We have an amazing Ketra demo video um, that we shot at uh, CDA last year, I believe um, on the Aviation website. But uh, no, the Ketra is stunning. It is. Yeah. I am so in love with Ketra. Uh, we're, we're currently just trying to find a client who will let us do it. Right. Um, what you can do with that system and, and some of the, the similar systems to that is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So the way you can bend a light curve to make a color pop mm-hmm. is just the sexiest thing in the world. Um, don't tell my wife I said that. But <laughs> yeah, it, it's like it is. I am in awe of that system. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you combine just the human centric portion of it where mm-hmm. you're getting, you're matching the outdoor lighting yeah. so that you're feeling more at ease with it being like the natural world to being able to manipulate <laughs> the world around you in a way that enhances things. And that ex- example, the way that they did it at the booth at Lutron's booth was obviously a timeline of here's 24 hours yeah. or in a, in a minute or whatever it was. Yep. And you can kind of see the, the coloration and then you get that example of um, a bouquet on the table yeah, the and pulling the table, this, the, the art on the wall, yeah, right. Where you can change the, literally the look of the art yeah, um, by shifting a, a, a light curve that you're not perceiving with your eye. And, and that's the, that's the huge part because you can go in and, and put, you know, a 5,000 Calvin bulb in 
and then put a 2800 Kelvin bulb in side by side. And you can turn one on and make, you know, the wall or the art look this color, turn the other one on and have it change. Mm. But your eye is totally, completely perceiving that, that actual light change in the space. Mm -hmm. What makes catcher so phenomenal is the way that they can do that on the light curve. So you don't actually, there's no real perceived difference in the space other than we're pulling color and we're manipulating color in that space. The, the weird thing with human centric to me is one, obviously it's, it's very expensive currently. Yeah. Um, there are some players who are doing it uh, really well. Uh, catcher is one of them. Savant's got a phenomenal system and there's a couple other, a uh, couple other players, but it's, it's an interesting approach because not everyone like people want that, but they don't want that at the same time. It, it just depends on their personality and their personality of that day. Because when you are continually matching something to uh, essentially a perceived outdoor experience, that's great until we're trying to, you know, do a cleanup at night because somebody made a mess in the kitchen and now right. we've got to clean it up and we're, you know, you start playing around and it can be a, a harsh, harsh shift depending yeah. on how you, how you plan it out. Um, what I'm really intrigued with is some of the warm dim stuff that is commercially available. Um, and I'm really intrigued to see what happens with the circadian concept at a, and I don't want to say an entry level price point, but as more manufacturers and more traditional lighting manufacturers jump on board with that, you're going to see a lot more uh, saturation in the market. And I think this is one of those areas that is ripe for uh, evolution because the initial, the initial systems, again, they're phenomenal, um, but they're really complicated. Mm. on the back end and sometimes on the front end what is really going to help that that side of the market take off is when you start to get a couple players that can do it in that mid-market space right because like anything right when you're doing ultra high end there's there's you can do anything you want there really hits a point where there's a budget but the budget is only it's only there. It's, it's written in pencil. Mm -hmm. You can adjust it. You can do what you want and you can be as creative as that client wants, but where the bread and butter and especially the bread and butter for the, the CD industry, it's not just that ultra high end. It's that, it's that mid market, you know, everyday, not everyday people, but everyday people. Mm -hmm. And when, when we can get some quality lighting control, that works with circadian rhythms that works with uh you know warm to dim and, and some of these other really cool lighting features that's when you're really going to see a push and a, a growth in that market and i don't know i don't know who's going to make that push because usually we're not involved in those projects mm -hmm. right it, it's it's an electrical contractor it's a interior designer um who's, who's specifying that stuff. And, and that's where that market is going to grow. And that's where we have to be where I'm a little, uh, cautiously optimistic that we won't get blown out by a bigger player hmm. as we've seen with, you know, voice control and, and some of the other stuff, there are some phenomenal solutions out there that are not, uh, mainstream, but when you start to compare mainstream for, you know, cost and, Effectability, it's pretty darn high. Yeah, and it, it's it's a push to get that into to get some of those other solutions into a a regular project that a you know your average CD member does. Yeah, well, I think that where you are, it's kind of like when I talked to John Siaka. Even though he's in a resort mm -hmm. community in Myrtle Beach, he's still in a very kind of uh, conservative spending area. Yep, and so a lot of these big project big big technologies that are so expensive 
are just not practical for his clients or his uh, client base. And then you're in an area that seems more kind of in between the big cities. Yeah. And, and so, and, so it has to be practical, you know? Yeah. And that, that's a big, that's a big driver. And that's something that, you know, I, I try to keep in mind because, you know, as, as I mentioned, like over the years, I've seen a, a vast variety of projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I would politely state that I, I've seen a spread that most people have not. They've not experienced that, that level of spread between, you know, all their ultra top jobs and their ultra, you know, basic, <laughs> basic mm-hmm. projects. Um, but yeah, I, I'm in a conservative, uh, it, it's not a small town, but it has a small town. They, they want to be a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, as we affectionately call Toronto money, we have Toronto money coming in. Okay. Um, and that is changing that landscape a little bit. Um, but it's still, you know, we're still not New York. We're not Westchester County. We're not, uh, you know, DFW mm-hmm. or, or, you know, parts of Atlanta and, and some of those bigger communities. And I think what gets lost a lot of times in the industry is there's a major push to, to always showcase, you know, the super cool building in Vancouver mm-hmm. or the ultra lux, you know, thing up in the hills in Germany or, you know, down in Miami beach. And those are really cool and they're awesome, but it's a finite number of people that ever work on those projects. Right. And, you know, I, I've got, I've got friends and, and people that I talk to that are on both edges ends of that spectrum. Um, trying to get someone who has never dealt with a client who is not, who is unwilling to pay for Sonos. Mm-hmm. may not ever make sense to somebody who, who only plays in those big spaces. Right. And vice versa, having someone who's like, like we did a project a couple of years ago where the client didn't bat an eye at spending $700 a pot light. Hmm. And we put a lot of pot lights in that project, but they wouldn't spend for lighting control. Hmm. They didn't care. They attributed value to to this, which I would have considered was an ultra lux piece, but they didn't put any value anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can look at those ultra, you know, spectacular projects and go, "Oh yeah, that's cool. They put fifty thousand dollars worth of shades in that room. That's amazing." We might never ever see that, right? And there's a lot of people who never ever see that. Mm-hmm. And where it gets to be a challenge is. How does the how does the industry? I know we're kind of veering all over the place here, um, but how does the industry continue to grow and have some trickle down? Mm-hmm. Because when we can start to see, you know, shades go into a five hundred thousand dollar home, you know, four bedroom just suburbia home, yeah, is when you see a huge build for our market. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're working on a on a pool system right now um, where we're trying to we're coming in at the last minute <laughs> to try and get some audio in and i'm i'm fighting to get any level of significant audio into this pool system because they started at 45k and now they're over 200 and we haven't done anything yet hmm. it's like well we don't we don't have a lot of budget left like did you need the forty thousand dollar automated pool cover <laughs> like maybe obviously you did, but how does that affect my budget? Yeah. But we talk about, we talk so much about the growth of the industry and it's not going to be the ultra high end. I wish it was. Yeah. Like I totally wish it was, but not, not everybody's got a a house in, in the Hamptons, not like around me. Not everyone's got a house in Muskoka. Right. Like we've done work up there. It's awesome. But there's a finite number of projects that happen up there versus they build a new subdivision out here and it's got, you know, 600 to a million dollar homes and there's, you know, a hundred homes in there. Mm -hmm. How do we, how do we get into those and get shades or lighting control or decent AV into those homes? Mm -hmm. That's where, that's where you see the market take off. 
Yeah, absolutely. Ranted somehow into that. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, that that's uh, that's probably a good place to to end it. We've got a lot of questions and things that we could continue to talk about and try to solve, but uh, we'll have to do this again another time. You can solve them all. I've got it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're both just the two of us. We can figure yep. it all out. We can do well, it. Well, Matt, thanks so much, and uh, best of luck for for. 2021 we're we're still just underway here even though it's into march and uh thanks for being on the podcast thank you so much for having me it was a blast matt d scott is president of omega audio video in london ontario canada and host of the very popular resi week podcast on the av nation network where i will be a guest again soon and looking forward to that that wraps up today's show thanks so much for joining us be sure to share subscribe rate and review the podcast and check out all the latest residential tech news at restechtoday.com. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.